What's up guys, John Haas, RNC Serian with NRSNG.com. Today I am really excited to bring you an episode in our series on critical thinking and nursing care plans. Before we get rolling into the episode, I want to let you guys know that if you go to NRSNG.com slash critical thinking, that's NRSNG.com slash critical thinking, you will find a massive monster post on creating nursing care plans and how to apply critical thinking in nursing school. Now that's something that nursing professors and nursing schools love to mention. They love to mention you need to be critical thinking, but they don't ever really tell you how or how it applies. In this post, we've done that for you. That's nrsng.com slash critical thinking. And on that post as well, there is a free download of a care plan template that you can download and just fill in. It, it has all the spots where you can just fill in exactly uh, what you need to have, a, to have a really effective, good nursing care plan. That's nrsng.com slash critical thinking. All right. Now let's roll into this. This is another episode in our series on critical thinking and nursing care plan. So hope you guys enjoy it. Hey guys, we are going to be talking about critical thinking examples in the emergency department. I've come up with three critical thinking examples to go over with you guys. Uh, I want you to first, though, head over to get our free nursing care plan template um, on nrsng.com. The uh, exact link is nrsng.com backslash care plan template. That's nrsng.com backslash C-A-R-E-P-L-A-N-T-E-M-P-L-A-T. And that's all lowercase, all one word or all put together as one word. So for my my first uh, example is going to be a chest pain patient. So somebody comes in and, and really right now... Um, specifics doesn't matter. Any patient that comes in with a complaint of chest pain is going to get an EKG and you want to have that EKG done within the first 10 minutes. So patient comes in with chest pain, you get an EKG and you uh, draw their labs. Among all of the labs that we draw, you know, the basics are a part of that, but anybody with chest pain is going to have something called troponins drawn. And a troponin um, it's a protein that initiate contraction um, of our muscle fibers and specific to our heart is the troponin I. And that one is the one that I am going to be referring to throughout this podcast uh, when I just say tropes or troponin. It's troponin I because it's specific to the heart. So normal ranges for a troponin um, can vary depending on your uh, institution, but the NRSNG value that we're going to go with is 0.035. So anything above that is considered a positive troponin. So you get the EKG on that patient and you've drawn the troponins and you've sent that off to lab. The EKG shows normal sinus rhythm. Everything's looking pretty good right now. Um, the results come back usually 45 minutes to an hour, depending. Um, now, if you're used to floor orders or anything like that, they aren't stat. Anything from the ER is stat, so it's done before anything else. Um, and the time is roughly 45 minutes to an hour to get that result. So your very first opponent comes back positive. Let's say it's 0.1. What do you do? What is it that we need to be thinking about? And how do we use critical thinking to get there? 
So the first thing that needs to be done is you need to get an EKG. And you're going to ask why. The first EKG was negative, and we drew the troponins at the same time that we got that EKG. So why is it that I would be getting a second EKG? There's a couple reasons why. First of all, you want to be thinking about the time lapse. You started about an hour ago, 45 minutes to an hour ago, with that troponin level. Who knows what it could be now, and who knows how that can make an effect on the heart. So we need to check, is the heart okay right now? We want to compare it to the previous EKG. There are two different kinds of myocardial infarctions. I mean, there's many kinds of myocardial infarctions, but there's two really that we're going to be looking at in this scenario. Um, you can have an ST-elevated myocardial infarction called a STEMI, or you can have a non-ST myocardial infarction, and uh, that's called a non-STEMI. Those ones are um, diagnosed or um, really looked at through the troponins. So you get a original troponin that comes back positive with a negative EKG. You get a second hour troponin that comes back positive um, and the EKG is still negative. That's called a non-STEMI. Um, and there could be, I mean, it's, it's could be other reasons why your troponins are elevated. And at that point, your institution will likely be, or your doctors will likely be ordering more specific testing. But when you get that positive tr troponin back, you want to make sure that, number one, you've gotten that EKG. Number two, you are drawing the second troponin on time. Now, that is based on your unit. Um, or your institution, but evidence-based research suggests that having your troponins done every two hours is the best practice. Um, and the reason why is because sometimes troponins um, are not released out of your heart muscles until three hours after the uh, myocardial infarction has really begun. So you could be having a non-STEMI with no troponins at first, but it will be released later. Um, and up to three hours is usually um, the time range. So you have positive troponins. Um, two hours later, you'll want to draw on the button, you'll want to draw a second hour trope um, or a second set of troponins. Uh, if it has gone up, at all, that is definitely a positive uh, for a uh, non-STEMI, and you'll the doctor will probably order heparin or um, some sort of anticoagulant to get that patient started um, to help break up any clot that might be causing that heart attack. Um, however, um, you can have it be up to three hours. Um, so your set, your second set of troponins would be a third hour troponin. When, so evidence research also suggests that in order to be considered out of the weeds or however you want to consider it, um, not having a heart attack, you have to have three total sets of troponins that are all negative, And that means no sort of heart attack. So um, if you have a patient their zero-hour troponins come back and they're negative. Your second set of troponins come back, they're also negative. And you have um, a normal sinus EKG 
Do you need to draw the third set of troponins? Well, that depends. This is partly where we're going to bring in our critical thinking here. Um, So we already know that it can take up to three hours for troponins to release, um, and it could possibly be longer than that. And we already know that um, the patient came in with chest pain and their EKG is normal sinus rhythm. What kinds of questions do we want to think about? Do they have any sort of uh, cardiac history? Have they had an MI in the past? Do they have, let's say, cardiomyopathy um, or AFib? Or is there like a history of atrial fibrillation? Is there anything in their past that would be positive for a cardiac history? If so, the doctor may consider uh, doing a third troponin before completely saying this patient is clear of a heart attack. Um, you'll want to also consider uh, the focus of the plan of care. So when a patient comes in with chest pain, our focus originally will be on the heart. Um, But throughout the plan of care, things might come up and the focus may change. So you'll have to bring that into consideration. Um, Let's say that patient, you know, a few hours later says, you know, I did forget to tell you that I was working out the other day um, and I did a really heavy upper body workout. And do you think that might have been causing my chest pain? Um, or sometimes patients don't make the connections and they they think, you know, if you ask them, how, how have things been going? Do you have a cough? Have you had any respiratory issues? And they may be like, oh, yeah, you know what? I have had a cough this whole past week, actually. And it does kind of hurt after I cough. Um, it's your job to make those connections because that patient is not a trained, you know, usually not a trained medical professional. And that's what critical thinking is all about. You are looking not necessarily just at their chief complaint um, and thinking one thing. In their mind, they're thinking, whoa, my chest hurts. That is heart. So I come in and I tell them all the things that have to do with my heart. I don't have a cardiac history, but my heart hurts. That's what the patient's thinking. Your job is to look at the other factors, question them, and, and bring in things that might not seem like it's related to the patient. You know, do you have that cough? Or have you had any heavy lifting, anything like that, um, that kind of brings it all together. So the next patient that I want to talk about is a patient that comes in with shortness of breath, and it's slightly related to what I was talking about before. Um, I want you to be thinking beyond the lungs. Shortness of breath, you think lungs, right? There's something wrong with their lungs. They're not able to catch their breath. But I want you to not just think beyond the lungs. I want you to think if it is the lungs, what else is happening? So having an issue with your lungs, having an issue with your breathing, how does that affect the rest of your body? Um, Is there anything else that we could be concerned about? The number one thing when someone comes in with shortness of breath in the emergency department, the number one thing you need to get is an EKG. Why? Because your heart is right there. And there's a lot of reasons why um, somebody having an issue with their heart, such as a uh, myocardial infarction could present with shortness of breath. Imagine a lot of people might think, wow, this heart attack, they may be having a heart attack. They might have feelings of chest pressure. So one of the signs and symptoms of heart attack is pressure in their chest. If someone has pressure in their chest, 
they're going to have a hard time breathing. They may not realize that that pressure is from their heart. They may think, wow, I'm having a difficult time breathing. So we want to check that heart. We want to eliminate the heart in that area. And also you kind of think about connections. So have you ever, you know, held your breath and checked your heart rate or even, you know, had really fast respirations and then checked your heart rate? It changes your heart rate. It can change the way, you know, you are... Uh, It changes your levels of carbon dioxide and your oxygen, and it changes how fast your heart's going to be pumping to try and get everything um, properly to all of the cells that it needs to get. So the other thing that you need to think about is if this patient is having an issue with breathing, they're short of breath. Do they have enough um, oxygen in their system? And so you look hypoxic. Are they, do they have hypoxemia? And sometimes hypoxemia can cause both bradycardia or tachycardia, depending on the situation. So it can change the heart rate. Another reason why, if lungs are the issue, are we bringing it back to the heart? Are we looking at the heart? Has the heart been affected by this shortness of breath? Um, And you would think, oh, that's easy. I'll check their pulse ox. And if their pulse ox is 100%, then we don't really need to check that. No, not the case. Because what is it, what if, you know, like we're assuming that their pulse ox is within normal limits. What is it that your pulse ox is reading? It's reading how many red blood cells have oxygen attached to them. And it's really not just oxygen. It's it's really anything. Um what else can attach to a red blood cell uh, via the hemoglobin? So um, carbon monoxide attaches to your red blood cells using up the space that an oxygen molecule would attach to it. And it appears that, you know, you have 100% oxygen when in reality that patient may not. And people who have that are people who may have had a smoke inhalation issue or even... um, you know, if they're a smoker or or they've been um, exposed to carbon monoxide in general. So let's say about 20% of your hemoglobin has carbon monoxide uh, attached to it and about 83% has oxygen attached to it. This would give you a reading, I'm sorry, 73%. Let's assume 73% has oxygen attached to it and 20% has hemoglobin attached to it. This would give you a reading of 93%. 93% oxygen saturation is not anything to be super concerned about. It's it's within normal limits. It's okay. Anything below 90, we're like, whoa, this person might be hypoxic. But what we're not, what we're thinking about is 93%, but it's really not that 93%. It's really that 73% as is what the oxygen is. If you walked into a patient's room and you saw that their oxygen was 73%, you would be very, very, very concerned. So we want to think about that. What else could be attached to it? It could have a pulse ox reading that is normal, but it may not be normal. So again, going back to the hypoxemia, it could be a hypoxic patient who then has issues with their heart because they are having hypoxic issues. So again, think outside of the box. We're not just looking at lungs because that patient is shortness of breath. Um, And you got to think, you know, what are other causes of shortness of breath? Um, Heart disease, heart attack, 
can cause you to be short of breath or cause your patient to be short of breath. It can be accompanied by swelling uh, in the feet or the ankles. Like you would look at things like that. Like if somebody has congestive heart failure, they're likely going to have um, edema in their legs or their feet. Um, some sort of lung disease can cause that emphysema, COPD, those kinds of stuff, pneumonia, asthma. And those are all things that we think, when we think of someone with a respiratory issue, we think of those things, emphysema, pneumonia, asthma, those kinds of um, diagnoses. But we don't necessarily think of panic attack um, or, you know, blood flow distribution, um, getting oxygen to your brain, things like that can cause, if you don't have enough oxygen going to your brain, it's going to cause a decrease in your respiratory system. Like, so your patient comes in and they are short of breath because they really are not getting enough oxygen. It's like a perpetual cycle. You want to think about things like that. So that anxiety and, um, having that chest pressure, that chest pain, causing them to not breathe deeply. So when we're looking at someone coming in with shortness of breath, we're not just looking at the fact that they're here for an issue with their lungs. We're critically thinking outside of the lungs and thinking, what else could it be? Could they be having a heart attack? Could they be having some other sort of issue, congestive heart failure? Or if they are having an issue with their lungs, is it their lungs are also causing further complications within the patient? So the final patient that I wanted to talk about um, is a motor vehicle accident. So someone is in a, we call it a, call them MBAs. So someone comes in an MBA and their complaint is back pain. Um, there's a couple things I want to talk about here. So one of the things that you may not really think about, if like, let's say they're having lower back pain, um, what's in that area? What are we going to check? Well, our kidneys are in that area and you're going to want to check a urine. Why? Well, there's a couple of different things. First of all, we want to make sure that the kidneys weren't injured in the motor vehicle accident. So you would check for blood in their urine, but you could also be checking for a possible UTI or kidney stone. Perhaps that patient had a kidney stone, um, that was all fine and dandy until it was jostled about uh, with the motor vehicle accident. Now they have an obstructing kidney issue. Um, So you you definitely want to check out the kidneys and make sure the kidneys are okay. It could have also just been that the patient had a UTI and it simultaneously also happened that the patient got into a car accident. Things like that happen. Um, And the patient didn't think about those aches and pains until they got into the car accident and they're like, I better double check my body. Is everything okay? You know, I kind of am having this back pain. I better get that checked out. And they may not remember that they had it before or it may have just started. Um, Coincidences like that happen. (laughs) So the other thing that you want to think about, you know, are we immobilizing the spine? And that's going to be, if they came in like via EMS, they're going to be on a backboard. They're going to have a seat collar in place. Why are we doing those things for patients that were in a motor vehicle accident? Because we're concerned about their bones. Have they fractured their spine? If you're thinking about spine, you don't want to stop there. We're not just talking about bones. Let's make that next connection. We want to think about their spinal cord. So thinking neuro. We're going to be thinking further than that. Um, You're going to be checking, have they lost control of their bowel or bladder? 
Do they have sensation on their feet? So this person comes in with back pain after a motor vehicle accident, and you're going to be going down to their feet and saying, hey, does this feel the same as that when you're checking the right foot versus the left foot and you're just touching them? Like, th- that's how critical thinking goes. You're go- you're moving beyond the one focused area, and you are thinking about how does that affect the body. Um, and then I, 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 I guess the focus or the point of this is to not just get caught on focusing on the story. Make those connections. Uh, the idea is to go beyond. That's what critical thinking is. It isn't just saying, okay, someone came in with shortness of breath. I'm checking their lungs. Their lung sounds are clear. They shouldn't, they, there's no reason for them to be short of breath. No, it's to go beyond. Are they having a heart attack? Is there something else that I really need to be looking at? Making those connections. Um, And I just want to throw a last little thing in there um, about abnormal vital signs. It is very important before you freak out about an abnormal vital sign, you need to double check that. The very first thing you do is you look at that patient. If someone has a heart rate of 180 beats per minute, um, don't just start calling the doctor and losing your business. Put eyes on that patient. That helps with critical thinking because the doctor's going to be like, okay, uh, did you check a pulse? Did you do an EKG? Did you look at the patient? What What is going on? Are they able to even function at 180? What, what is happening? Um, so number one, look at your patient. Number two, check the equipment. Um, and I know on the NCLEX they're going to talk about Don't ever get caught up on checking the equipment. It's not about the equipment. It's about the patient. So number one, you look at that patient, and that's true in real life. Look at that patient. Number two, double check. Is this a real heart rate? Do, you know, get an EKG, double check, make sure the equipment's attached correctly. And then last but not least, do a manual check yourself. There's a reason why nursing isn't done by robots. We need to go in there and assess that. Apically listen to that heart if their heart rate is truly super tachycardic. Are we listening to it for a full minute? Did we count it all the way out? Is that a true heart rate? Um, Even like a blood pressure, we get caught up on those Dynamaps um, or on our monitors, just having it be an automatic blood pressure. Double check that. Do a manual blood pressure before you go in and talk to the doctor um, and put that together for, for your picture that you're doing. So I hope this really helped you guys with critical thinking. I hope my examples of real-world emergency department situations really help bring the picture together for you. And I wanted to remind you again to go get our free nursing care plan template at nrsng.com backslash care plan template. That's nrsng.com backslash C-A-R-E-P-L-A-N-T-E-M. P-L-A-T. It's free. It'll help you guys really make sure those nursing care plans are focused and they are getting you through um, the best patient care for that patient. All right, guys, thanks for listening to this episode on critical thinking and nursing care plans. I hope this was helpful for you guys. I hope it's going to help you kind of piece together how to critically think as a nurse and then what that means and how the, the, the nursing care plan is really so vital to everything that we do. I know we hate them. I know they're difficult, uh, but it's really everything that we do in nursing is critical thinking around the care plan of the patient. All right. That's what we're doing. We're providing care for a patient and that's what this is all about. So head over to nrsng.com slash critical thinking to get this massive outline post with, with audio, with video, 
with explanations, with examples, and with the free template of nursing care plans. That's nrsng.com slash critical thinking. All right, guys, we appreciate everything that you do. We appreciate you being part of this NRSNG family. We are growing. We are reaching nearly every country in the world, and you guys are part of that. You guys are everything that we do at NRSNG, okay? I want you guys to know that. This isn't about us. This is about you guys, and you're the heart and soul of everything we do. So with that said, you guys know what time it is now. It's time to go out and be your best self today. Happy nursing.